0: Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we have the amazing and awesome John Kasman. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you, Peely. Thanks for having me. Fantastic.
2: So, a little more about John. John Kasman is a burgeoning real estate investor who controls a portfolio worth over 18 million partner, partnering with other investors to purchase apartments. John also hosts the weekly real estate podcast, Target Market Insights, an amazing podcast you definitely have to check out. Uh, he speaks uh, about where with local specialists across the country to uncover the best tips and investing insights. Uh, currently, he serves as a group business director at a marketing at a marketing agency where he's overseen marketing campaigns for. Mercedes-Benz and Coors Light, to name a uh, name a few. Uh, John was advertising executive at General Motors and was recognized by Black. Enterprise Magazine as one of the top executives in advertising and marketing. Awesome. Also sits on the advisory board for Surge for Water, an organization that invests in sustainable water solutions across the world. And is is co-founder of Claudia's Family Development and Adolescent Respite Care Facility in his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. Whoa. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate awesome it. Awesome stuff you have going on here.
0: Wow. That's just, <laughs> everything there is just so awesome and so mind-blowing. Um, and well, you gave me the, you some tongue
2: twisters so I could really, really put it on. How I was, like, <laughs> just just, just, just yeah. testing you out a <laughs> you little know, bit. I was like, there we go. I was like, respite care facility. I got wow. that in there. Okay, yeah. cool.
0: But before we get into everything else that you do, your, our first question is going to be how did you first get started in real estate?
2: Ooh,
1: great question. So um, the story I like to tell people is that my wife and I we bought a duplex. But in reality, <laughs> the first way I got started was actually that adolescent care facility you were talking about. So I've had an interest in real estate for a long time, going back to I would say late high school, early college, and like many I'm sure of your listeners and other guests you've had on, you know that little purple book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, was one that really uh-huh. crystallized. This notion that passive income was the way to really build wealth. Um, so I got that, but again, I was a you know sophomore in college. I had no money. I was working three jobs to pay for college as is. Um, so how in the heck was I going to go out there and buy a, an apartment, yet alone a house? Um, so what ended up happening is my grandmother. She had a um, a long history of caring for others. Um, my father was actually adopted, so she spent a lot of time raising not just him but foster children as well. And she passed away in two thousand two. And about a year after that passing, uh, my family and I, we got together and we talked about ways to honor her. And one of the ideas that came up was opening up a, a group home, or respite care facility to kind of continue on that legacy. So, um, that was really my first foray because I'm the person who got the property, um, property that we still own today and kind of oversee and all of that. So that was the first one. But I had so much help on that, that I can't really even take credit. Like I did nothing like someone else found it, they pretty much did the financing. This was back in what, 2003, 2004. So back then, you know, they they did one of these and, um, you know, they saw something on the glass. So they said, cool, you're approved. Uh, I mean, I think like in today's environment, it will probably be fraud. I mean, some of the stuff that that went on to get approved. I mean, the loan officer basically filled out everything for me. They put money in the bank account like one day. Cause again, I was, I was a two job having a three job having part time, you know, college student. So my income was, you know, minimal, uh, but they looked at it and they, figured out how to get us approved and they did it. And, you know, that was a different time and error, but, um, but that's, that was the first property. Um, but I will say the real first property though, was the duplex that my wife and I own, you know, after learning and we kind of figured out, you know, that that wasn't necessarily the way to invest and build, but what we wanted to do was, um, we wanted to owner occupy something, learn how to be a property manager, learn how to, you know, manage a property. We bought a property in a uh, neighborhood in Chicago called North Center. And we bought that property. We renovated that, updated the kitchens, took out some of the old heaters that were in there and put in, you know, an upgraded HVAC system and central heat, central air. And we knew we were creating value. I don't think we fully understood like the numerical or the financial side of it. Um, we went to refinance because we we're looking to buy another property. And our agent told us that, we probably had enough equity to go out and refinance out of that FHA loan. And what we found was we created about $200,000 in equity. um, And it allowed us to actually get a $100,000 line of credit. So from there, the light bulb kind of went on to say, okay, hey, we were doing this first one as a test. The test went really, really well. Now let's start to figure out how do we actually do this and and do it more full time and kind of grow from there. Nice. Well, I guess, I guess
2: if we talk about the care facility, that's, that shows the power of building a great team right there. So we'll, we'll take that for what it's worth. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you too, the funny thing about that was, um, I was, you know, my role was supposed to be on the real estate side, you know, like that's what I was really interested in and, and marketing. That's my background. Um, and what ended up happening is, is that no one in my family has, you know, gone to college or even graduated before me. So what we ended up having to do was the woman we were bringing on as the executive director, she quit like halfway into it. Like we, you know, we didn't know how to get approved for, you know, um, you know, the, the government contracts or anything like that. So I had to learn all this stuff on the fly. And essentially because I was the only one that had a college degree, I had to assume that role. So you talk about the power of a team. I mean, I had to learn to work with the government, the city officials, and I mean, they would come in. And the good thing is, you know, when you're a young, you know, young kid and you know, you're in your early 20s, people are willing to work with you and help you and say, okay, this isn't too cold, but here's how you get it to cold. You need to put locks on this. You need to put locks on that. And I'll come back out in a week. So that worked out well with having the team, but then also learning how to overcome a lot of those challenges and roadblocks and red tape that we started to face.
0: We'll talk That's about great. just like taking action though. I mean, yes, it's not, it wasn't like total ultimate real estate, but you not only took action, not knowing anything, but your energy probably got you through the entire process of learning not only real estate, but learning how to found and manage a care facility. That's amazing. Wow.
2: Thank you. Boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you if you go a little forward towards today, what, what do you t- typically tell people you're doing in real estate? I invest in multifamily apartments,
1: you know, and what I really do is try to partner with others and find synergies to do that. You know, whether that is investors looking to partner up on a smaller deal, or if we're going into a larger syndication deal, something that is, you know, a larger apartment building, we're raising capital from other investors, we work on that as well. So ultimately, we're trying to find the right situations. If there's something that works out great, um, but we really like partnering with others, just because you know it's uh, it can be a lot. You know, it can be a lot to take on, and there are a lot of opportunities. And people are busy. You know, I think that real estate has a lot of value. Um, it's a great wealth creation machine, um, but a lot of people don't understand it or don't really know how to leverage it or really engage with it. So really what we try to do is just partner with other people and figure out, you know, do they want to be active? Are they interested in being passive? You know, are there other investors who have great deals, but Hey, I need a little help raising money for it. Or, you know, Hey, I've got a great deal, but I need someone else to kind of help bring some experience to the deal. So we try to just find ways to partner with people.
0: How do you, let's talk a little bit about partnerships then. How do you find the right partners? How do you find the right synergy?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's something that we're always tweaking. You know, the first thing you look for is like-minded character, right? So, I mean, I look for character before the money or any of that other stuff, right? Do I like you as an individual? Um, can I work with you? Do we have the same kind of end game in mind? And if not, you probably need to step away and I'll give you a short story. Um, I started flipping a couple of houses. And part of the reason we did that was to get more money to invest in multifamily. So like, I've been pretty much laser focused on multifamily for a long time. Um, But I did the single family flip because people, you know, told me, hey, you know what, if you want to generate some more income, you should do that well, I took on a partner knowing that I didn't really want to take my attention fully away from multifamily and I was working a full-time job. I thought it made sense to partner with somebody who had a lot more experience in flipping homes, who was a contractor himself and could really manage that size. So we took on a 50-50 partnership and I felt like we vetted him pretty thoroughly. Um, you know, we checked out his projects. We talked to other JV partners. We talked to all the other people on this team because he had a team of um, agents and another head contractor. So we talked to all these people and we felt pretty good with who he was and what the partnership would be. And in short, that didn't work out at all. You know, the things that we were concerned with as they started coming up, or as we started to see them, um, he didn't address. And, um, you know, the the mindset was not correct. You know, he wasn't really into a partnership. He was into, it's going to be my way and you're just money. And we realized at that point, that's not the way you want to partner. So Mm -hmm. for us, it's really understanding that you know, what are we looking to get out of a situation? How are we going to approach it? What's the business plan? And guys, hey, if something goes different than what we expect, what's the outcome? What are the levers we're going to pull? And are you comfortable with that? And if you're not comfortable, we probably shouldn't partner together. I mean, it's just that simple. You know, I'd rather make sure that we're partnering with people who are going to be comfortable, who are going to be aligned with our, with our approach. Um, and again, you know, just making sure that we have some synergies there. Yeah, I've heard,
0: I've heard, the, this is not really saying, but I've heard this from a couple of people where a good partnership is like one plus one equals infinity. Bad partnership is like one plus one equals a great lesson learned.
1: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yep. So I had a great lesson learned.
2: That's exactly what that first one was. It was a great lesson learned. <laughs>
0: well, thank Good. you for all that information. Yeah. Thank that's you for awesome. sharing
2: that. And that, that's always so helpful for people that are just starting out, just understanding that just because someone wants to partner, it's not necessarily a to do thing or have to do thing. There's always some of the best options are just saying no. And it's hard to do that, especially to to say no, maybe if, even if it's friends or family, but it's better to have a um, good Thanksgiving than really be fighting with it among (laughs) among others for no reasons, right? Well, if you talk about now your multifamily portfolio, what what kind of projects are you actually looking at today and, and where are you focused, what areas?
1: Yeah, so uh, my main markets are Chicago. I live in Chicago. So it's an easier market for us to invest in. And then Cincinnati is kind of our second primary market. And then we invest in Texas through some partners. So we have some strategic partners who are there. Um, Again, going back to the whole partnership thing, they're there, they're local. Um, they're syndicating much larger deals. So it kind of makes sense to bring more people into the fold. So we partner with them as well. But for our, our main day-to-day focus are Chicago and Cincinnati. We put in an offer earlier today on a 28-unit building in an area called Norwood. Um, we've been looking at a few different properties here in Chicago. So one, I'm talking to the, the broker. We're looking to put an offer. Uh, it's a 27-unit, but the cost per unit's you know, a little bit higher, so it's around a two point 2500000 five million dollar property. Um, so we have a few different projects we're looking at. It's just um, for us, it's making sure that the numbers make sense and that we can deliver the returns that we're expecting for our investors. But then also making sure that we've built in some um, some cushion in case things don't go well or in case the market shifts. you know, Right now, interest rates are still creeping up a little bit. So we need to understand that you know the exit price that we might project today may be a little bit different. That exit cap rate may be a little bit different than what it is today. So just making sure we're being conservative in our underwriting and our assumptions. And we're willing to miss out on deals because of that. I mean, I think that's the key is making sure that we build a, a business and build partnerships and relationships that enable us to continue to build in the future, as opposed to having deals that go awry and then losing that trust factor with our investors.
2: And when you say looking for deals that, that makes sense for, for people that are really just trying to understand the, uh, the multifamily space as a, as a just its own area they can go after. What, what is something that makes sense to you? Like, how do how do you, how would you numerically advise them?
1: Yeah. So, so I think that you look at the deal and most people talk about, you know, you look at three factors. You look at the market, you look at the deal itself and the numbers, and you look at the person who's going to be leading it or the operator. So specifically on the the, the market, we look for areas where we think there's going to be some growth, right? So class B or class C, basically areas where people want to live, schools are good, you know, or okay, at least to good, um, but there's some demand, there's some There's some reason people want to live there. But really what we're looking for is some investment or something that is going to drive that area to continue to get better and better. What's the anchor in that area? Um, when it comes to the numerical side uh, of, you know, the deal itself, you know, we're looking for solid returns, typically around 15% IRR for our investors is what we're looking for. We're looking for strong cash on cash, somewhere between 8 and 10% cash on cash return for our investors on an annual basis. Um, and we're looking to pretty much double the money over the course of five years. Um, One thing we're, we're exploring now, just because in Chicago, it's, it's a different market because it has its challenges. One, it's it's not landlord friendly at all. Um, Illinois is actually a state where, you know, everything that you learn from how to invest and how to pick a market. Like Chicago, Illinois is probably one of the worst ones to do that on paper, right? I mean, you want a market that has population growth, a market that has job growth, a market that is landlord friendly. Chicago's is eh, 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 right? <laughs> so, so at first I was fighting like, oh, I don't want to invest. I don't want to bring other investors to a market that, you know, has fits none of these criteria, right? But the reality is, is that being here and being local, you can recognize the sub markets. And that's part of the reason I started the show target market insights was I had a hard time figuring out why I would even want to invest in Chicago going forward, because everything that I looked at as far as economic indicators showed me to run. So it was understanding that even within a larger metropolitan market, there are sub markets where there is growth. And how do you how are other people finding that? Because there are people making a killing here in Chicago, right? And there's still 2.7 million people that live here. You know, we can't ignore some of these massive factors. So where are they going? Where do they want to go? What are the factors? So that's what we really started to harp in on is understanding where we want to invest, why we want to invest there, and why we we feel comfortable investing there at least for the next five years, if
2: not for the next 10 years. So what's a light switch that went on that you said, okay, it's a go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think the, the light switch for us was as we talked to other investors and we um we, we talked to kind of our, our mentor and he kind of looked at it and said, you know what? Will you ever like so Cincinnati was a market that we we knew we really liked. The other market we liked was Madison, Wisconsin. So I was spending my time trying to learn Madison, Wisconsin, and I, I reached out to my mentor and he basically said but John, you already own property in Chicago. It's one thing if I was starting from scratch. He's like, you already own multifamily property in Chicago. If I asked you right now where you'd want to invest, you probably would, you could tell me the markets, the the streets, the neighborhoods, where you'd put your money. I'm like, yeah. He's like, so why are you spending all your time looking at Madison, Wisconsin? I'm like, well, they got population growth and they've got, you know, the job growth and they've got, and he's like, yeah, but you can work around the other stuff. So I think that was the thing is just like, you know, sometimes you get, um, so caught up in the numbers and the data and everything else, it's, it's, um, it, it can be paralyzing. And, sure. and it also could be something where, you know, we all have a lot of data available to us, but we don't have insights. We don't have actionable insights that we can move on and build our business around. And that's really the thing. So, I mean, I can tell you in Chicago, there are neighborhoods I love. I know the type of deal we're looking for. If it comes up, we'll snatch it. Um, and we, there's an area in a certain corridor that we absolutely love. And we look for stuff along that corridor.
0: That's great. That's all amazing information. Well, that's the in
2: your pocket advantage, right? Right there. Absolutely. So, even though the indicators, but this outweighs that for you being able to have just, you'll be able to act a lot quicker, maybe be a little more competitive in what you're going after for, just, and you also can build a team closely and have boots on the ground because your whole team's there. So, okay. yeah, that's amazing. You are yeah.
0: your boots on the ground. It's sure. great. You mentioned, oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, I was just saying, and that's why we, Chicago and Cincinnati are two markets. So Cincinnati, my wife is from there. Her entire family is there. Her sister is one of the top real estate agents in the city. So I had her, I haven't seen that property we put the offer in on, right? I haven't seen it. She checked it out on Monday. She took pictures. She talked to me. I mean, I I can do a lot of secondary research, right? So I'm pretty comfortable with the area from what I can tell, but she, gave me me the feedback. Hey, it's in a good part of the city. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Here's the upside potential. Here's what the rest of the neighborhood looks like. Okay, great you know? So, so I got all that. I got my boots on the ground there as well. So it kind of gives us to me, I feel really comfortable knowing that whether it's here in Chicago, I can either physically go myself or I've built up enough relationships where I know who I trust and what I trust them to do. And then also in the secondary market, again, I've got really strong people who, you know, will go and check out all these things for me and do it on my behalf and have a network available to me. So that's something that, you know, I think is really important is having boots on the ground and having a network that you can trust and rely upon to give you information give you accurate information to give it to you consistently
0: i love that it's amazing well you you had mentioned before mentorship and we're key we always like to key in on mentorship because yeah. everything you know did you learn that on your own
1: everything what do you mean everything. i've i i never read a book yeah. i just learned what a podcast was i have no idea no <laughs> no absolutely i mean you 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 Leverage the information and the experience of others, right? I think it starts with, and mentorship can be formal or it can be informal. You know, I think for us, one of the first mentors I had in real estate was a guy who, you know, I don't even know if he would consider himself a mentor, but we went to, you know, the RIA meetings and every month he was there and he just would share whatever knowledge and whatever questions we had, he would answer. And we were sponges and we just soaked it up, you know, and I I consider him our first real estate mentor, Um, you know, but once we, you get to a certain point, and for me it was, once we realized that we wanted to start engaging other investors and helping other people create wealth and building partnerships, we knew I couldn't underwrite the deals the same way I would with me, right? And at that point we felt it was really important to align ourselves with other people who were very successful in, you know developing larger multifamily deals and just kind of building that network out as well that's
2: great one more question about Chicago in particular how, how are you hedging yourself against the, uh, the the favorable tenant laws that pop up?
1: Yeah. So a a screening, 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 screening is the first piece. Um, And what I mean by that is before you can start to screen, you have to be in an area where you can get the desirable tenants. Um, You know, one thing that happened to us is we had an eight unit building in Chicago and we had a couple trouble tenants. Um, One of them in particular was an inherited tenant. And she had the seller gave me the heads up that, hey, you know, that one you better watch out. You know, she's got some issues. She's always got an excuse for not paying rent. She literally made up an excuse that there was a ghost in her apartment one day. You know, so, <laughs> I, I, so, and that was to him. And then to me, it was all sorts of other stuff. Right. And we actually hired property management because again, I was focused on lo- driving the larger goal of what we we're looking to build. And I started to notice as I was checking on things that that just, it just, the numbers were never accurate. Right. I was never getting all the rent. There was always a delay. There was always an excuse. There was always something wrong. And in short, we had to evict her and she refused to leave. And it wasn't until we went through the entire eviction process where the sheriff made the post on her door that she actually left. And even that took time, um, but she left the place in complete disarray. And even worse, she called the city and complained on us. Now, I I have actually never seen the unit. Even though I'm local, she refused to let us in when we did our inspection. So she let my inspector in, but she refused to let the rest of us in to walk that, that unit. Um, so she was, you know, troublesome from the beginning, but she knew the rules. She knew the city, she knew how to leverage the system and she knew how to make a pain point hurt us by calling a city. And the city of course came out and they just looked around everything until they could find a couple things. And I didn't even know what a lintel was, but apparently I had a cracked lintel, and I had to repair that and all this other stuff. I mean, in short, that one unit, that one resident cost us $15,000. Uh-huh. So to the, the, to your point, Jason, it is very important to understand the implications of those laws and going back to that first mentor he doesn't invest in cook county you know cook county is the county where chicago is based and there are a lot of people in the Chicago land area who do not invest in cook county and i always looked at it and say Psh, you guys are crazy there's so much money out here it's, it's chicago it's a city where everybody wants to go it's millennial central this is the hub, hub of the midwest i'm gonna invest only in chicago i still will only invest in chicago in, um, in this market, but I don't invest in the neighborhoods that are on the fringe like that anymore. And I would only invest in areas where we could really control the demographic and avoid those kind of situations. People do cash for keys. That's another thing that they do. You run into a trouble, a trouble tenant, you do cash for keys, that eviction process with the last resident I was mentioning Mm -hmm. that took six months. So that's six months of no income coming in from that resident. And that does not include the $15,000 in repairs and damage and other things that I had to invest. Not to mention one month's rent going to the property management company for the new resident that's put in. So when you really start to add it all up, it can be very pricey. So I'll say to anyone, if you're in Chicago or any market that's not landlord-friendly, you can do it, but just be very mindful of what the repercussions are if, you, if you're investing in, say, a Class C or Class D neighborhood, and if you have to evict tenants, what's that eviction process look like? How long are you going to be out? Because especially if you're on the coast and you're investing passively in these markets, because on paper, what might look like a 15 percent return could very easily drop to a three to five or seven percent return. So we invest in only those Class B neighborhoods in Chicago or what's on the Class C+, plus, neighborhoods that we think are either going in the right direction, but areas where we can still get the demographic where they don't want an eviction on the records, they don't want to take a credit hit um, and we can feel like we can screen and get tenants who can pay the, pay the rent.
0: That is that's such great. good information. That's yeah. not only for those people that are in landlord fr- or in tenant-friendly areas. Any area you're in, this could happen to you. You might be in a landlord-friendly area, but you get the wrong tenant. It's still going to cost a you. So okay. everything that John just told you, for everybody that's listening, just you know, rewind it, listen again, and take it in,
2: because you we- need to
0: screen, screen, screen,
2: screen would you consider that your biggest challenge or learning experience so far as a real estate investor? Or is there another one? No, I think that first partnership was the, that
1: was the most costly one. So that, that first partner was, whew, that was a doozy. So that was the first one, but I will tell you too that, um, I mean, the thing I love about multifamily is, you know, it really reduces your risk, especially if you're doing value add multifamily. So while I didn't have, you know, I lost 15,000 from that one unit, I still had seven other units, right? So you know, I, I didn't physically have to pay out, you know, the money. I mean, basically was just taking the rental income and I had to redeploy it to cover, you know, these expenses. So that's the beauty of multifamily, in my opinion, versus some of the other segments. So yeah, you, you run into the challenge, but again, you have the other income that you can redeploy. So it's not like you're, you know, completely lost. If that was a single family home. It would be a completely different story. Mm-hmm. So where do you
2: see your business now in the next five years?
1: man, great question. I, I see us growing what we're looking to do, right? So it's going to be focused on partnerships. It's going to be p- focused on working with passive investors and also some some active investors who want to partner with us as well and growing in multifamily. What we love to do is really build it where we are controlling the asset in as many ways as possible so we're looking at potentially building out our own um, apartment management arm um, especially in a market like Cincinnati where a lot of the feedback we've received has been that you know it's challenging to get really good property management. It's sure. easier to get on smaller properties, Um, and maybe on, um, you know, certain types of properties, depending on where it's located, but, you know, just to be able to control that, you know, that's something that is a really important aspect of the business. And if that market can't provide it in place, then that's something we're we're looking at potentially building on for ourselves as well. Um, but yeah, just really looking to grow with other investors. I think that's the biggest thing is growing with other investors, identifying apartment buildings that, that fit our business model, but then also making sure we're hedging ourselves against the future. Again, with sure. interest rates going up, um, we don't want to be in any five-year loans. We want to make sure that we have loans that are either seven to 10 years or beyond um, to make sure, again, no matter what happens with the market, we're locked in for the lifespan of our business plan and a little bit beyond that to give us that flexibility.
0: Amazing. Awesome. So let's transition just a little bit. What is your big why?
1: Man, I got a few of them. So one, my, my, my wife is, is she wishes she could have been on today, but we're in, we're in different locations, but um, you know, we're, we're looking to build something for our family, and then for the generations to come. So we've got two little ones. You know, my oldest is, uh, he'll be four in a, in a couple weeks. My my baby is not really a baby. He's like 20 months old. But, yeah. you know, we look at them and it's really about... Same age. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it's about enjoying the time with them, right? It's, it's, while you'd love to build a legacy and build all this wealth and hand it over, it's not really about that as much as it is us being able to, create the memories that we want to create and create the lifestyle that we want to live. So we're looking to do that, right? We're, we're exploring right now a potential move to Cincinnati. Um, So that's something that we've talked a lot about over the last year or so. And part of the reason why we're looking to build up our resources and our assets in that market um, where we can kind of grow that. And again, I can always come back to Chicago and do what I need to do there, but, you know, really just trying to take advantage of family. You know, Um, her mother's a little bit, a little bit older and we just recognize the realities. The reality is that our time on this earth is limited and I haven't lived home and she hasn't lived home in 18 years. So, you know, when you're single and ripping and running, that's great. When you have a young family, it's okay. But, you know, we're at a point where those moments are fewer and fewer and they're more precious and we want to capture as many of them as we can. So we're looking to do that now. So building up our real estate business allows us to do that. I've had a really good marketing career, um, but they're only the types of positions, types of things I like to do are only in a couple of markets. So, you know, we made, we recognize that, you know, this is something we needed to transition out of. So I can focus on real estate full time and kind of build the business that way as well. So that's really what we've been really focused on. That's our why is building up for the boys. Um, The goal was to be completely independent of any other W-2 income by the time my oldest starts school. So um, we're going to be a year ahead of that time period. So Mm -hmm. feel good about, you know, just where we're headed and continuing to build this and, you know, helping other people create wealth too. I mean, it doesn't help if you're by yourself, you know, if you're doing this and it's just you, it's going to be very lonely. So finding ways to help others is the other thing that we're really interested about and excited about building.
0: Let's talk about helping others then. How do you give back? And we've already mentioned a couple. So revamp on those and keep on going.
1: Yeah, a couple of things. So, I mean, you mentioned the, the group home, um, that my family operates It's turned into more of a respite care facility and kind of a summer. We do summer programming. So my family in Cleveland, they really run that and I kind of just help where I can or as needed. Um, but the other thing is really with search for water. So search for water is a great organization that I'm happy to be a part of the board. Um, and what they do is they invest in sustainable water solutions in different communities globally. So we're in the Philippines, we are in, um, you know, we are in uh, Haiti, we are in um, a few other countries as well. And what we look to do is we go in, you know, a lot of companies will go in and they'll provide water or they'll, you know, um, you know, uh, create some 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 water filtering systems or things like that. What we actually do is help them self-sustain. So we get the community involved. We help them to create a well and help them purify the well naturally and organ- um, organically where they're not getting clean water they can do we do provide filters but really help them create their own ecosystem so they can actually take care of themselves and we can pull out the the point is not for us to be there and do this for them it's to partner with them so we actually have an extended stay we're not you know we go for a couple weeks at a time and we'll come back a couple times throughout the year and then ideally we have a two to three year relationship with them where we're doing that so our founder is a friend of my wife and it was something she was doing part-time And she quit her job to do a full time. And I was just amazed that, you know, this other young go getter quit her full time job to focus on helping others across the country. And I said to her, if I can help you in any way, please tell me what you need me to do. So I've been really happy to be a part of that organization.
0: Nice. That's awesome. What an amazing organization, giving water to those that need it.
2: Do you have a, a morning routine? And uh, I know that can be trying with two little ones, but <laughs> if you do, what, what is it? So I, I had a
1: great morning routine. <laughs> um, even with the one kid, I still had a great morning routine. And what's happened is, is that one of them wakes up earlier and earlier every time. So what used to be a 6 a.m. routine um, has now turned into either a 5am routine, or I'm going to sleep in a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, the routine basically is, um, I wait, I, I wake up, I go over my goals for the day. Um, and then every night I kind of go over the goals and kind of look at and see what we, what I accomplished, what I didn't accomplish. And then my wife and I would just sit and talk for a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of talk about the next day, what we need to do again. She's kind of working with me full time in the business. So some of the YouTube where we're, we're talking about, okay, Hey, did you Did you schedule this? Did you do that? All right, what do we need to do? So we kind of go through that every day. Um, And then what I'm learning to do now is just taking a little bit more time. So, working up, waking up even earlier to take a little bit of time to either try to get in a light workout or to read. Um, and I found that that just helps me in my mental just get right for the day, just reading a little bit, even if it's just a few pages. You know, um, Hal Elrod has a, a great book or he talks about The Miracle Morning, and I'm sure your your listeners have uh, heard it and are familiar with it. But um, it's, it's such a great thing. And I, I can definitely tell you any day I go out and do those things those days are, are, are better, more productive days, at least starting out than the days when I don't, especially if the kids beat me up. So my goal, really, frankly, every day is to beat the kids up. If the kids beat me up, if I wake up to crying, I feel like my day is off to a bad start, right? And it's, and it's great, right? You love the kids, but, you know, I need that time for myself solo um, to, to make sure we're productive. And without that, it gets hard because once the kids are up, I got to get them ready. I got to get myself ready. We got to get them out the door. And then I'm on to my day. Right. Then I can I can try to go back. But at that point, I'm up. My mind's running. There's calls. There's you know emails. There's, you're there. So the next time I really get to, unch- you know, to step back is maybe lunchtime, just taking a break there and try to read something or or, you know, restabilize. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the day as well. So but yeah, trying to win win the morning with the kids is
2: is the main thing I shoot for. That's amazing.
0: I am right there. We mm-hmm. are right there with you. Yeah. Our, our, uh, our almost four-year-old comes tromping into the room at around like 5, 5.30 in the morning. And I'm t- already t- like, yeah, I'm not going to get my morning in. <laughs> so.
1: I got a tip for you. I don't know what kind of... I'm not going to judge you on the parenting skills, and I hope you don't do the same. But what yeah. we've done... So we've never had our kids sleep in, sleep in a room with uh-huh. us, right? So our oldest there's like the little plastic door locks you can put on. Mm -hmm. So we put that on his door. So he'll knock and we'll come get him immediately. Uh But I just, I got scared. Like I I didn't want to see him just like, I didn't want to wake up and him standing over me one day. Like I just felt that would freak me out a little bit. So let's put this lock on your door until we can get to a point where you know, you know, not to barge into the room because that's a little creepy. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: like watching online, can see me crying. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wake up every day and my son just like staring at me. Oh, you got to put the lock on. Get the, I'm
1: telling you, get the lock, let them knock on the door, you know, get your monitor. So let them knock on the door to let you know. And I put a little potty in his room. So he, you know, he's potty training, he'll use the big potty. But if he's got to go first thing, use the potty in your room. And then i'll come get you and clean it up but yeah i need i need like at least let me come get you like you yeah. can if i need to wake up to you that's fine but at least give me a second to get myself together Whew. all right <laughs> let's go get it you know yeah. but i like I, I can't wake up with you standing over me like that's just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: this podcast has been so amazing john has given us such great information on on real estate but really this has kind of turned into like a parenting podcast
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> We'll take this to one last step there Wait, what are words you live by
1: oh man um so there's a phrase i i, I wrestled back in high school and there was a phrase that was on the west gym and i'm trying to remember it. the short the short is tough times don't last tough people do and knowing that you run through difficulties in your life um it doesn't define you like those moments don't define the good ones either, right? So just, just because you kicked ass and you made, you know, six figures, seven figures, eight figures on a deal or whatever it is, that's great, but that's not who you are. Um, that's a Porsche. That's what you've done. That's an element of it, but, um, it's not to get too caught up in that. So I, I love that quote just because it's about mental toughness. And I think real estate investing, I mean, you talk about, you know, your show is the REI foundation, right? Well, the foundation is supposed to last no matter what happens above that, right? Um, You can put whatever, you can change out your windows, you can swap out of doors, you could throw some paint, but that foundation is the foundation. So making sure that you're, whether it be emotionally or spiritually or whatever, you wanna make sure you're sound. And I think that quote for me just helps me stay grounded to know no matter what comes our way, no matter what goes sideways, we're strong enough to get through it and we're tough people, so we're gonna outlast it. Amazing.
2: this has been incredible thank you so much
0: and um if others want anybody on the podcast or others want to get in contact with you get more information or even just you know talk shop with you how can they get a hold of you
1: so I'm available on all social media. Well, no, I'm not on Snapchat. I'm not doing that. Uh, but Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Jay Casman On Facebook, just type in my name, John Kasman, you'll find me. And then go to Target Market Insights. That's probably the best and easiest way. Go to TargetMarketInsights.com. That's the website. You'll get, you know, any of the posts that we make, blog posts. You'll get our podcast information um, and all that stuff as well.
0: Amazing. Everybody definitely take a look at... Uh at john's podcast thank you again so much john for being on our on our
1: show today well thanks for having me on and i do want to say before we leave that you know i'm hosting the midwest real estate networking summit in may so that's gonna be may 11th and 12th um so me and a friend of mine brie schmidt we're putting this event on it's no pitch no bs just come out learn real estate we've got some great speakers dave and horns coming out joe Fairless is coming out um, we have, um, quite a few other fairly well-recognized names, but we're really excited about this. So anyone, especially if you're focused on the Midwest, if you're Chicago based or Midwest based, or if you invest in the coasts but you invest your money, if you live in the coast, but you invest your money in the Midwest, it'd be a great time to come out and connect and really get to understand that market a little bit different or a little bit better. So definitely just let people know about that as well.
0: Say the title of your conference. Again. Yes, the
1: Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. Uh, MidwestREsummit.com is the website. So check that out.
0: Do I it. Everybody it. do it.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Incredible. I sure will.
0: Cool. Well, thank you again, John. So this is the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Again, so much gratefulness and thanks to John Casman for being on our show. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Talk to you later. Bye now.